Good morning, Northview, and blessings to you and your family in the name of Jesus. So here we go. We have always said that the church is not the box, and now we have a chance to practice and to prove that. As you are gathered this morning in whatever configuration that you're in, be it by yourself, your family, a small part of your community group, we hope that you will not only experience the presence and the blessing of the Lord through His Holy Spirit, but also his wisdom and leading for how to pray during these, what I soon believe will be called desperate times. How to be the church for our community while we're doing this is what we're aiming at. Let's pray that the fear of the Lord will come over the Northwest and that many people will repent and cry out to God for not only help, but also salvation. Steve Welling, our former executive director, uh, sent out a quote this week, uh, and it's a quote from Zig Ziglar, and I thought it really captured the essence of what we are facing this morning. It had to do with how we define fear. The first definition of fear is forget everything and run. The second definition is face everything and rise. The first one has to do with the fear of man. The second one has to do with the fear of God. So church, lean in. Come under his authority and leadership. Let's prove to be good followers. To help us this morning, Esther's prepared worship, and she has tried to shape it for the setting that you are in this morning. And so whether you choose to stand or sit, or whether you are dressed up this morning or in your PJs, whether you're alone or with others, or whether you are on your phone or computer or TV, let's worship together, even though we're separate. Let's let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Good morning, Northview. This is, uh, is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. My name is Esther. I am the worship director here at Northview, and we just welcome you wherever you are to worship with us this morning. This is going to be awesome. So we're just going to address the elephant in the room. Things are different. As Steve said, things may even be a little awkward. We ask that you give us grace as we muddle through all of this together. Um, not sure how long we're going to be doing services like this, but the good news is we still worship the same God. Not only does he desire our praise, but he is worthy of all of our praise. And as Steve said, no matter where you're joining us from, whether it's your living room, whether you're making breakfast in the kitchen, I will take three pancakes. Thank you. Um, we invite you to just think about the words that we are singing and worshiping with. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. Cast your mind upon the Lord. And God is bigger than our separation this morning. God is bigger than COVID-19, and for those of you who are VeggieTales fans, God is bigger than the boogeyman. So join us. Call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 34 that says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continuously be in my mouth. It goes on to say, let us magnify the Lord and exalt his name together. So we are all in our separate areas this morning. That is okay. Together we will join our spirits and bless the Lord. So we invite you to join us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. 
church, we serve a great God. We're going to have some fun with this next song. So if you're sitting down, you're welcome to stand up. Or if you have kids in the room, kids, I invite you to stand up while we have some fun with this next song. As we just proclaim that God is the victor over our fear. Kids, if you want to drum along on your lap and join Danilo in percussion, that's cool. If you want to do some Fortnite dances while we're doing this one, have some fun with this while we celebrate how awesome God's love is over us. Let's have some fun. joy I when brokenness and pain is all I know oh I won't be shaken oh I won't be shaken my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in Chance when I stand in your love, my fear. 
God, you are good. We thank you so much for an opportunity to join our spirits together in bringing you praise and adoration, having a little fun, and proclaiming you as a victor over fear. We all pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Beautiful. If you're new or joining us for the first time, may I just say welcome. We are honored to have you join us. And uh, many of us are gathered together in our homes. And you may have been invited by a friend, either on YouTube or Facebook. And we're, we're thrilled that you would join us this morning. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark in a series that's uh, been called The Gospel of Immediacy which suddenly seems to be an incredibly appropriate title, right? So take your Bibles or your phones, whichever, and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Let's do a quick review so we catch up where we were last week. Last week we found, that we found Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing his most difficult hour. The disciples have fallen asleep, and Jesus rouses them for the third time as the guard comes into the garden and arrests Jesus. The disciples, plus John Mark, Flee, and now Jesus is brought before the council. <clears throat> this morning, we'll take a look at Jesus as he faces this illegal council that has been put together to try him on bogus charges. We are reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 53 to 65. I'm reading actually out of the English Standard Version, uh, which is otherwise known as the ESV. And it reads like this. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that was made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And even, yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Let's pray this morning as we, before we get into the message. Father in heaven, this is a first for us. It's different. It's weird, cool, awkward, all at the same time. The great piece of it is that we know you're not thrown by it and that you're not limited by space. We don't have to be together for your Holy Spirit to be among us, for your Holy Spirit to talk to us, to communicate, to highlight something, Lord, to reveal something. And so it's with great confidence that we come this morning. We ask for your favor as we gather, that you'd help our concentration as we're in a different setting, that you'd help us 
uh, focus in on your word and that you would speak, Lord, this morning. We, we and our world need you. And so we're asking for your help. Have mercy on us and we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right, so let's pull this apart and uh, think through it together. It says this, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. The high priest at that time was Caiaphas, and his father-in-law was Annas. Annas actually was the one with the power. Annas had been the previous high priest, and Caiaphas, as his son-in-law, became more or less a a pseudo-high priest, uh, but they still together wield incredible power. Together they formed an evil coalition that had every intention of taking Jesus out. If you look at the text, it said, for they intended to kill him. And so you know their motive right from the, the start. The council is also known as the Sanhedrin, a ruling council of elders uh, over the spiritual issues of Israel. It involved uh, a ruling class of 70 elders. Uh, the legal issues had been co-opted by Rome, but they still had a lot of power. So though limited, they held enormous power over the lives of the Jewish people. Both Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who will appear later in the story, uh, were both part of this council, but for some reason, they do not appear here. Much uh, speculation has been made as to why. Were they purposely left out? Uh, Did they conveniently abstain? Were they both out of town? Uh, The truth is, we really don't know. And then an interesting development is recorded. It says this, And Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. John's gospel tells us that it was actually John and Peter together who were following. Apparently, after fleeing and being scattered at the Garden of Gethsemane, they came back to their right mind and decided together to follow at a distance and see what would happen. John was known to the high priest, which gave them their access to the courtyard, and Peter stayed outside the courtyard by some fires that they had started, so apparently it was a cold night. Then it says this, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Now this is fascinating. Here's why it's fascinating. They had jury rigged this whole thing. You can tell it's a mock trial. You can tell the whole thing's rigged. And so they had lined their people up and they had their stories together, but apparently they didn't take enough time to really make sure the stories synchronized. And so what they had so elaborately set up is quickly falling apart. The stories weren't matching. And according to Jewish law, you had to have at least two testimonies that collaborated for a person to be judged. They had pieces of what Jesus said, But the stories, as we would say, just didn't line up. There's several things that should be noted here. Number one, it was illegal for the council to arrest a person at night. So going to the garden, arresting Jesus was illegal from the get-go. It was, too, also illegal for the council to hold a trial at night. And so what they were doing uh, was highly 
unscrupulous. Number three, it was illegal for anyone to bring false testimony. So if the stories didn't line up, somebody brought false testimony, then they came under judgment. And number four, since the stories didn't collaborate, under Jewish law, Jesus should have been freed right then and there. They should have said, we do not have evidence, and he should have been released. But there's one more trump card in the high priest's hand. One last idea, if you will. Get the prisoner to purge himself. So it says this, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Why wouldn't Jesus answer the high priest? For one very good reason. He doesn't have to. By the legal law of Deuteronomy, because the testimonies don't agree, Jesus should have been let go and freed right there. Their plot and plan are suddenly in deep jeopardy. Out of sheer desperation, a last grasp, if you will, the high priest pulls out one last desperate question out of his back pocket. This is possibly right here, one of the most important moments in the entire New Testament, and maybe in the history of the world. Caiaphas challenges Jesus with this question. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? This is an absolute gamble. It's an all-out, high-stakes poker call. If Jesus doesn't answer, Caiaphas is literally out of options, and Jesus must be set free. If Jesus stays silent... They have nothing that they can convict him with, and they know it. Matthew gives us the most riveting version of this scene. In Matthew 26, it reads like this, And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I'm pretty sure he didn't say it like I just read it. I'm pretty sure he was pretty dramatic, and I'm pretty sure he was emphasizing his voice, and it sounded something much more like this. I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. All of the gospel, as I said in all of history, hang on two things right here. Number one, will Jesus answer? And number two, how will he answer? And Jesus does answer. And how he answers is extremely important. What does he say? He says this. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. I want to suggest to you this morning, this is no ordinary answer. I am is a special category of designation. I am is the name that Jesus used for himself in John chapter 8. When the Pharisees were attacking and chiding him, when Jesus had said that he had seen Abraham's day. And they said, you're not even 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? They were cynical, they were scoffing, jaded, chiding, in utter disbelief that anyone, let alone Jesus, could make as an audacious a claim as that one. 
Who did he think he was? And unless the point is missed on us as well, he was claiming to be God. I am, that he used in John chapter 8, showed up in the episode of the burning bush with Moses. He wasn't in John 8 just claiming to be greater than Moses. He was claiming to be the God of Moses. When Moses said to the burning bush, the voice in the burning bush, if I go to Egypt and I tell your people that you sent me, what shall I tell them your name is? And Yahweh said, I am who I am has sent you. And I am who I am became the an acronym for Yahweh, which we understand today. And this is the very name that Jesus is using in John chapter 8. And he is again here claiming this in Mark. And now, fully knowing it will cost him his life, he repeats the same formula. He says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the response? Well, the high priest couldn't have been more delighted. Here's what he said. He tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? Notice here that the truth didn't matter. There wasn't any question of whether Jesus was telling the truth or not. They just needed that because they knew he was lying. The trial was rigged from the beginning. So many today claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. Yet that does not jive with the facts and the testimony and the witness of Scripture. Jesus right here not only clearly proclaimed to be God, but Jesus right here was willing to die for that proclamation. It was the only thing he answered in the entire trial. Are you God? He said what? I am. And the result? What did he get for telling the truth? The death sentence. Goes on to say this. And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. When we take this in, as we look at this, as we're wrestling with what's going on here, I think there's something really important we should point out that is uniquely different from Jesus and other religious leaders or other uh, claims of other religions. And the point is simply this. Most people, when they go to court, are on trial not for who they are, but they're on trial for what they have done. They're on trial for some crime that has been perpetrated that they have they or they are suspected of having committed, and it's the jury's duty to prove whether they had committed that crime or not. Jesus was not on trial for what he had done. Jesus was on trial for who he claimed to be. Jesus didn't die for a crime. Jesus died for who he claimed to be. They could not find an accusation against them other than he claimed to be God. And Jesus was willing to die for that claim. With all that our world is facing right now, especially in the present grasp and teeth of this whole coronavirus infestation, let us be very clear on something. 
Jesus, not science, not government, not finance, is the hope of the world. The idols of our world, sports, finance, health, and most importantly, control, are crashing around us. It is a fantastic time for the world, and let it begin with us who are Christians to repent and seek mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation from him. If he was God back then, he's God right now. And it's a great time to call out to him. Jesus still cares. Jesus still loves. Jesus still saves. Jesus once asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? The high priest asked, are you the son of God? Who do you say he is, and have you acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior? The answer has eternal implications. Let's pray. Father in heaven, most people have tried to brush aside your claims. They've tried to whitewash it and to take it off the map and to ignore who you claim to be. But here, very clearly, in Mark, in black and white, we have the fact that you spoke only one thing at your trial, and that was you claimed to be God. Not a prophet, not a nice guy, not a good teacher, but God. And Father, that is the central fact that is so important this morning as our world is careening out of control. We need to turn back to you. And I pray that many, those watching today, those uh, who are, are tuned in, will recognize the, the clear sense of this and find themselves reaching out to you, leaning in towards you, humbling themselves before you and admitting that things are scary and way bigger than them and they need your help. That they would ask you into their heart that you would save them in the midst of circumstances that they don't have answers for. Lord, we seek you that you would have mercy on our country. We know full well we don't deserve it. We know full well we've thrown a lot of stuff in your face. And we know, Lord Jesus, in this right here, the story this morning, you saw those sins 2,000 years ago and were willing to go to the cross for them. We're just deeply humbled, Lord. We owe you a great debt of love. We ask for your favor this morning that you would empower us as a church, even though we're scattered. Help us in the strength of your spirit. And we seek this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. We are going to end the worship portion of this morning singing a song that we know pretty well here at Northview. It's called For Your Glory. So we invite you at home to sing this as a prayer. We are just asking God to use us in this time for his glory because he is the only thing that truly matters. The Apostle Paul tells us that everything else in this world is that of rubbish in comparison to Christ Jesus. So if you don't know it, you will catch on really quickly. We'll go through it a couple times here. But as you catch on, we invite you to sing with us as we ask God to use us for his glory. We have only one life and it soon will pass. And only what's done for Christ will last. Jesus, you can use me. 
Okay, church, so we have an opportunity this morning to do something that's really kind of unique, and it would be rather hard to pull off here at church, but because you're in your homes, uh, we made the message a little bit shorter, and we have some questions that we thought would be really good for those of you who are gathered to dialogue through together and uh, have your Bibles and be able to take it a little farther uh, together. And then uh, we also have some prayer points this morning that we'd like you to pray. So uh, the questions for this morning are, and you'll see them on the screen um, as they roll up, but question number one, as you read of the trial of Jesus, what strikes you as unjust? How would you have reacted if you were there? Number two, what is your take on John and Peter following Jesus at at a distance? Were they heroes? Are they cowards? What what would you say about that? Number three, how would you feel at this kind of trial if it were your trial? Would you be able to be silent? Would you be able to answer honestly like Jesus did? Number four, Do you think Jesus was telling the truth when he said, I am? And number five, how does, has that truth impacted you at this moment? Share with each other. And then we'll go on to the prayer points. The prayer points you'll also see up there. Number one, first of all, pray for all the people who've been impacted by the coronavirus. I mean, we all know stories. Pray that they would see their need for Jesus that we've just talked about. Pray that God could do something that's never happened in the Northwest before. And the revival that many of us have prayed about for 40 years would actually spring up. Number two, pray for wisdom for our staff and board that will closely follow the Lord through this season and and lead well and uh, know what to do. Number three, pray for us as a church family that we can stay strong as a family, and that we can stay connected to Jesus even though we can't actually get together. That is a God-sized task. Number four, pray for people that you are close to who you know are struggling. At church, we're trying to get names of those who are shut in or or target people or fragile and connecting with them to find out, is there any way we can help? Are you doing okay? Um, Let's pray for, for that group. And then number five, Pray for what Jesus would have you do this coming week. What is it that you could do for him, for the kingdom, this week that you couldn't otherwise do because the whole schedule is different and altered? Many of us are not working. Many of us are at home. Many of us, our schedules are disrupted. But that creates massive opportunity for new things. Pray together for what would Jesus have you do this week? As you do that, I bless you. Have a great time, and we'll see you next week.